from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, millions of Americans remain without power in the wake of a record-breaking winter storm. Will this natural disaster prompt an evaluation of our energy policy, or will it lead to a doubling down on the calls for climate change policies? Also last night, President Joe Biden held his first town hall meeting as president. Among the issues, China. I shouldn't have tried to talk China policy in, in 10 minutes on television. Well, we'll spend a little more time talking about it. We'll talk about it with Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton in just a moment. The new Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, has called for a department-wide stand-down to address the issue of extremism in the U.S. military. The January 6th Capitol riot is reportedly the genesis for the call, but many are concerned. This is more about driving out unfavorable political views rather than true extremism. We'll discuss the matter with Roger Maxwell, a military attorney. Also, the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, and a Naval Reserve officer, Congressman Jim Banks, will weigh in on the stand-down order, as will our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, a founding member of the Army's Delta Force. All of that coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. To stay in touch with us, text the word STAND to 67742. That's 67742, the word STAND. As I mentioned, with millions of Americans without power, many without water as well, and more than 100 million under some type of winter weather advisory, we invite you to join us tonight for a special time of prayer at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, our weekly edition of Pray, Vote, Stand. We've shifted gears a little bit. We were going to have Dr. Ben Carson on tonight, but because of weather-related issues and our studio actually being out of commission, uh, we're doing a little different. We're going to have a prayer meeting, and we're going to be joined by U.S. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma and Pastor Roy Smith of True Light Christian Fellowship in Midland, Texas, whose church is currently serving as a warming center for the homeless. You can join us tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org. Now, many of you have probably heard Rush Limbaugh passed away today at the age of 70 after being diagnosed with advanced lung cancer a little over a year ago. After an extremely successful broadcasting career, bringing conservatism back into the mainstream, Rush Limbaugh was awarded the Medal of Freedom by former President Trump. Limbaugh will be remembered for his, tra- his tremendous contribution, not only to talk radio, but to America. As we mentioned on yesterday's program, the extreme weather that swept through the South and Midwest of Amer- in America left millions without power. Should this prompt a reevaluation of the Biden administration's energy policies. Also, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has issued a stand-down order to each branch of the military to discuss extremism within the ranks. But what does that mean? And, as I mentioned last night, President Joe Biden held his first town hall meeting where he addressed the issue of China. And so the idea, I'm not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in Western mountains of, of uh, China and Taiwan trying to end the one-China policy by making it forceful. I, I said, and by the way, he said he, he gets it. Well, joining him now to talk about all of this is Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. He has served as an Army officer in Iraq with the 101st Airborne. He's also served in Afghanistan. He serves on the Senate Armed Services Committee as well as the Committee on Intelligence. Uh, Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. It's good to be back on with you again. I, I want to get into China because I know that's something that you care about a lot and have been focused on. But first, I, I want to address this issue of uh, what's happening across America's power outages. What- what's the situation like in Arkansas? Well, it's very cold, Tony, and there's uh, a lot of snow on the ground, and there's some people without power. Uh, we've had some strain on our grid system, and obviously when anytime you have ice with above-ground wires, uh, you have a chance of damage to those. I just want to encourage all my fellow Arkansans to listen to the governors uh, and the local uh, government's um, officials to make sure that everyone stays safe uh, and warm and protected in this time. Um, so let's just say a prayer for everyone across Arkansas and across this entire uh, country who's dealing with this uh, extremely cold and dangerous weather. Yeah, this is a unique record setting, uh, not something we have a lot of, but we have seen more and more 
natural disasters, uh, hurricanes, uh, severe weather events, uh, which I would include this in that category. Uh, but some are saying, because, for instance, in Texas, where there has been an over-dependence upon renewable energy, is this something that should prompt uh, a, a reevaluation of the Biden administration's policies that they've already announced within the you know the first days of uh, cutting off the Keystone Pipeline, uh, moving away from fossil fuels? Yes, Tony, I think it should. Um, obviously, Texas uh, depends a lot on wind energy. It's pretty windy out there in West Texas. Um, but one of the challenges of certain forms of renewable energy, like wind energy or solar energy, is it only works when the wind is blowing or when the sun is shining. Uh, and in this case, uh, when it's warm enough for those windmills to turn. So that's an important part of America's energy mix. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but right. you have to have a, a certain amount of reliable baseload power that comes from coal or natural gas or nuclear power. And that's my understanding of what happened in Texas. Again, many factors. But because under normal times, they get so much of their energy now from wind power, when these windmills were frozen and couldn't operate, it caused a surge in those baseload sources uh, that their um, uh, energy-generating plants and their grid couldn't handle. Uh, Now, you've got to maintain a modern grid. You know, you you need to have your um, power plants winterized and prepared for stuff like this. That's really independent of the source of energy. But it's also the case that you have to have that reliable baseload power of coal and natural gas and nuclear power that is going to be suitable no matter what the conditions are outside. Right. Uh, I I am with you 100 percent. I think the renewable energy sources are good to pursue. Uh, They can complement the basic energy supply. But in a situation like this, where you have uh, freezing sub-zero temperatures in some places and and people with no power, this is a very, very dangerous situation. Very, very dangerous. And and in some ways, Tony, I mean, there's, there's only so much that local officials can do for extreme weather. I mean, I don't think many people would expect, you know, Galveston or Beaumont, Texas, to have a large fleet of snowplows, um, just like you wouldn't expect, um, you know, a lot of northern European cities to have air conditioning in every home. And when they have a heat wave there, they have right. um, casualties, too. Um, but what we can do as, as, as a nation is to make sure that our energy sources are reliable and stable and affordable. And there's a role in that for renewable energy. Um, and hopefully technology will continue to improve and it becomes even more reliable. Um, but for the time being, it is still essential to have that stable base of power that comes primarily in our country from coal and natural gas and nuclear. Absolutely. Well, just for the record, I'm sitting here in uh, in Louisiana, back home in Louisiana, looking at icicles hanging off my roof. I prefer <laughs> I prefer the uh, the humidity in August uh, <laughs> over a, the icicles in. Well, you know, in in, in you know, we deal with hurricanes here and you know we lose power we lose occasionally lose water but you're not at risk you know the element you can get heat stroke i mean i i get that i've been out there and, and done that but th- this is uh this th- these types of uh weather events are uh, extremely dangerous because you can't get supplies in and out and people are without water and uh so this is as you said something we should be praying about but also evaluating our policies not thinking this is a one-off, yeah. but, you know, we're seeing more and more of these extreme weather uh, situations that have been uh, hitting our country, p- partly just because of the growth of population and, and many other yeah. things. Which, and, um, I, and I would also, I mean, in addition to the prayers, I, I encourage all of um, my fellow Crimson's listening tonight, everyone listening across the country, I mean, also go the extra mile to you know, check on your neighbors, check on the elderly, people who might need power for medical devices, um, people um, who maybe are struggling to make ends meet and didn't uh, um, prepare for the evening, do what you can, whether it's taking them into your church or your home or, or helping them get connected to their local uh, local government to make sure that they are able to get through these next few nights. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to be talking about that tonight, uh, churches that are opening their doors that have power uh, as warming centers so people without power can come in. And so that's certainly an opportunity for pastors in these affected areas, if your churches have power, you certainly can open and invite those that do not have power to come in, and, and uh, maybe the community will pitch in and the church and give them a warm meal and a place to uh, to stay. Uh, Senator, I want to shift gears here now. The president last night holding his first town hall meeting, the issue of China came up. 
Uh, I'm not quite sure I understood what he was saying uh, as he talked about China. Um, but this is something you are particularly concerned about. We've talked about it many times, the threat that we have from China, both economic and from a military standpoint. China is a very grave threat, Tony. I'll be releasing a major report tomorrow that we've worked on for two years in the banking committee about how to disentangle our economy from China so we can eliminate the points of leverage they have over our society, whether it's uh, pharmaceuticals or basic medical equipment, as we saw last spring at the beginning of this pandemic, or their access to uh, refined rare earth uh, elements that are so essential for our economy today, um, or um, other points of leverage that they have over the United States. I was also troubled last night to hear what the president said um, about China's treatment of some of its religious and ethnic minorities. Um, He seemed to say that they have different norms. Well, there are no norms when it comes to the fundamental equality of all mankind. Whether you're American or Chinese or anyone else, you are born equal in the eyes of God, and there's no place for the kind of oppression you see in China. I mean, in in northwestern China in particular, um, the Chinese Communist Party specifically under the direction of Xi Jinping for the last seven years, has been engaged in a campaign of horrible genocide against a religious and ethnic minority of people called the Uyghurs. Um, There are horrible reports. I'm not even going to say on a family radio program, Tony, what the British Broadcasting Corporation just revealed they do to women in northwest Mm -hmm. China. Um, I would encourage your listeners, though, if you want to know the full depravity of their crimes, just to Google BBC and uh, the Chinese Communist Party, and you'll probably get the results. Uh, It's terrible, and the United States needs to condemn it, and we need to lead the world in taking action against the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Senator, wouldn't history instruct us that if America looks the other way, when these types of human rights violations take place, that it will only expand and others will take their cue that America doesn't care? That's exactly what history teaches us, Tony. Uh, We're talking about millions of people inside of China, not just in northwest China, but Christians uh, throughout eastern China that have tried to practice our religion in private churches, having their homes invaded. Uh, Democracy activists in Hong Kong um, have uh, been persecuted terribly. And the United States uh, has to lead the world in condemning these kind of practices. And it's not just a moral imperative. It's a strategic imperative. You know, Ronald Reagan understood that nothing, nothing antagonized uh, Soviet communists more than highlighting their oppression of minorities inside of Russia. The same is true of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, If we shine a light on these barbaric, horrific practices and lead the world in condemning it, then it will put us in a stronger position. And if the Biden administration doesn't act, the American people still have the power to act with their buying power by refusing to buy products made in China, oftentimes with that forced labor of the Uyghurs and others that you talked about. Yeah, that's exactly right, even though it's a sad fact. Yeah. Senator, we're out of time. Uh, Look forward to seeing your report that comes out tomorrow. And thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. And stay warm. Thank you, Kenneth. All right. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk with military attorney Roger Maxwell about the problem, potential problems, with the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin's stand-down order. We're going to be talking about that coming up next. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now.
In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And let me remind you again tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, our weekly edition of Pray, Vote, Stand, shifting up uh, a little bit, changing gears. And uh, we'll have uh, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma giving us an update on what's happening there. And uh, Pastor Roy Smith of Midland, Texas, who's opened his church up to help in that community. We're going to be praying for the nation and those affected by this storming. And that's 8 p.m. Eastern time. Go to prayvotestand.org. All right. You're going to have to excuse me if, I, if I'm a little suspect of this order from the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, this stand-down order. The Democrats have used the events of January the 6th. All of a sudden, they, they are concerned about violence while they ignored it all last summer as cities were burning across America. Now, they use that kind of as a genesis for uh, this stand-down order, which within 60 days, uh, each branch of the military has to go through a stand-down memorandum which looks for extremism in the military. Now, the problem with this, in part, is that it's not clearly defined. And if you look at some historical definitions of extremism and Say, for instance, in the Obama administration, this could be far-reaching. Joining me now to talk about this is military attorney Roger Maxwell. Roger, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, you've expressed concerns about this stand-down order because of the lack of definition in it. Explain. Absolutely. So, Tony, the, the big issue that I'm seeing is how Secretary Austin is really going about the, the defining of what it means to be an extremist, right? So I think we can all we can all level, right, that something like KKK membership, something like white supremacist group, especially within a multiracial uh, military like we have, is going to be prejudicial to good order and discipline. The Correct. question is, what? How far does that definition go, right? So we can we can hit the outliers, but. Where does the line come? And with this latest memorandum from Secretary Austin, the line's just not clear at all. Um, I really want to point out to uh, your listeners in particular what where he's getting his definition from, right? And that comes from the Department of Defense instruction. In particular, uh, the, the language of that instruction says that 
uh, any sort of active participation that discriminates against, you know, uh, ideology, uh, race, creed, color, sex are all prohibited. And like I said, we can all agree with that. However, it goes further and it says um, any efforts that advance efforts to deprive individuals of their civil rights um, is also lumped under this definition of extremism. And given where we're at with certain uh, Supreme Court decisions, how many members, particularly members on the left, define civil rights, um, this is this is far reaching in, in my in my opinion. So th- this Roger, this could be, let's say you were a, a member. I, I mean, I'm a military veteran. I, I was in the Marine Corps. Um, I also happen to be pro-life. If I have a pro-life perspective and I go to a pro-life event which advocates for the sanctity of human life, which advocates for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, would that be considered running afoul of this? I I think so, Tony. And, and the reason I say that is because, like I said, under this provision um, of this instruction, it says any activity that essentially counters somebody's civil rights. So because Roe v. Wade says, uh, you know, abortion is a right, well, then by definition, you're advocating against a woman's right to kill an unborn child. So I don't see how um, how this definition of extremism under this Department of Defense instruction doesn't include that. Um, similarly, you know, uh, traditional ideas of marriage, um, ideas of biological sex, given the Birchfall decision uh, back in 2010, 2011, and then the latest decision saying gender identity is protected under the Constitution. Again, any sort of Facebook post, um, offhanded comment, I think, could potentially fit under this definition. And so, that's what's here. So, Roger, you, essentially you would be saying that the vast majority of the chaplains in the military would be considered extremists if they believe the Bible. I, I don't, again, I don't see how the untailored version that, that Secretary Austin is putting forward with this instruction, that, yeah, that, that is definitely correct, that um, a chaplain of a normal Christian persuasion would fit under this definition. So we talk about these ideologies. Let's say someone is pro-life. But what, what, what's the line? Holding the view, acting on the view, contributing to an organization, reading the material from an organization? I mean, what, what's the line that these members will not be able to cross? Right. So, and that that is the, the caveat point, right, is that the instruction that Secretary Austin talks about or that he addresses in his memo essentially allows members to hold these opinions, right? Um, you know, you, you still have constitutional protections under the, the Constitution, even if you are a soldier, despite the fact that some of these are limited in some capacity, right? However, when you actually start acting upon them, and again, acting upon is um, – a squishy definition. So I think that even something as simple as a Facebook post, something as simple as uh, maybe a comment to a coworker that um, impinges on something like this, that is an act, right? And so you're advocating for a certain belief system that I think uh, when push comes to shove, that it would be a technical violation of what Secretary Austin is looking for here. Roger, you know, I would think that in the military with this type of, you know, this viewpoint, this could spread paranoia and fear among the ranks, thinking, you know, somebody's looking over your shoulder to see if you said something or falsely reporting it. Absolutely. And you're talking about how important camaraderie is in the military. Right. It's shoving a knife right through its heart. Wow. Frightening. Uh Roger Maxwell, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Obviously, we're going to continue to uh, track this closely. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Tony. Roger uh, Maxwell, you can uh, find out more. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Uh, we're going to continue talking about this because this, this is concerning. Uh, next up, uh, Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee, also as chairman of the Republican Study Committee. We're going to talk about this with him and what congressional options might be out there to uh, make sure this does not run afoul. Don't go away. We're back with more after this.
The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org/china. Oh man, what's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah. Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org/app and download, or search "Stand Firm" in the App Store. Okay, that's "Stand Firm." Yep, "Stand Firm." How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, tune in tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, for this week's edition of Pray, Vote, Stand. We'll be joined by Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. Uh, he'll be giving us an update on what's happening there, and we'll be talking to Pastor Roy Smith in Midland, Texas, that uh, has opened the doors to the homeless in their community in the, the wake of this uh, tremendous storm. All right, this, this issue of this military stand-down, uh, very concerning with where this may lead, especially with terms that are undefined. Joining me now to talk more about this is Congressman Jim Banks. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Indiana, and as I mentioned, he serves as the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, also a member of the House Armed Services Committee, and uh, continues to serve as a Naval Officer, Reserve Officer. Uh, Congressman, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, good to be with you. Let's talk about this stand-down order and these terms that are not clearly defined in terms of you know, addressing the issue of extremism. I think we can all be very, very uh, clear in our agreement that anyone who advocates to overthrow the government advan- advances ideology of white supremacy and you know, so on and so forth, clearly uh, it does not fit in our military. But that's not the definitions that we're seeing used. Yeah, unfortunately, Tony, if you ask anyone on the left, especially a number of my colleagues who have been beating this drum in the halls of Congress, none of them can particularly uh, uh, identify or or answer the question uh, or, or define in any certain way what they mean by an extremist. I mean, they call they call me an extremist. They call you an extremist. They call the Family Research Council extremists. They call most Republicans extremists. So we know that their definition already is pretty broad and politically driven to drive uh, their narrative and, and their ideological and political purposes. The problem with that is when you apply that to the military, to our men and women in uniform who have political beliefs of their own that they express out when they're outside of uh, their service, when they're out of uniform, when they go to the ballot box and vote, that's where this gets pretty dangerous and becomes a slippery slope down a hill that I'm pretty sure I know where all this arrives at from a left-wing Democrat viewpoint, and that's that anyone and everyone who voted for Donald Trump on Election Day is an extremist and in their mind has no business serving in the uniform. Well, when you take this 
in context with everything else that has happened since January the 6th, and I've talked about this on the program many times, all of the, you know, the boards on our building came down, all of the businesses that were boarded up after the riots, you know, in last summer and after, you know, the, the left didn't riot after the election, we took the boards down, but the the fences and razor wire is going up around the Capitol, and it to me, it's political theater, it looks like, in context, this is an attack on political thought that the left disagrees with. No, there's no question about it. I mean, there's a lot of there's a there's way too much of that. It's been going on for a long time uh, from the left, but it, but it's been heightened uh, since January 6th, and it's all politically driven. I mean, at the end of the day, the the Democrats uh, they, they want to maintain their majorities. They want to they want to drive a stake through uh, Republicans and and prevent us from winning back. The majority uh, in the 2020 election, 2022 election, and the White House in 2024. So this is all politically driven on their part. I happen to believe, though, Tony, that it's going to have the 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 opposite uh, effect in upcoming elections than what Democrats are hoping for. But what I am most concerned about, and by, by the way, I just became the ranking member of the Military Personnel Subcommittee on the Armed Services Committee. Little did I know when I was was given that assignment by the rank the Republican ranking member Mike Rogers from Alabama that he was thrusting me right into the middle of all of this debate because all of our hearings that are being organized by the majority of the Democrats are all tailored to this subject on extremism uh, in the ranks. And we have, we have these hearings coming up, and you can already hear the rhetoric coming from the left that they, they believe that anyone who, uh, who, was at, who was down on the mall to listen to the, the president speak um, uh, on January 6th, by the way, had a lot of constituents who were there who were – uh, who are patriotic Americans that came to hear their president, who they they loved and and supported, speak on the on the mall, who did not participate in storming the Capitol. By the way, um, there were also a lot of um, a lot of our our, our service members uh, out of uniform who were there peaceably assembling, uh, which is a constitutional right that we afford to every American, whether you serve in the military or not, uh, to peaceably peaceably assemble, as many of them did on January 6th, who didn't participate in storming the Capitol. And they want to strip – even if you were there, they want to strip you of, uh, of, of your ability to serve your country in the military. And that's a, that's a dangerous precedent, and it's one that I, I will fight tooth and nail against. But you can already hear the rhetoric coming from the left that that's where all of these hearings and this debate is heading uh, from their perspective. That's chilling. That is absolutely chilling, frightening. Uh, to think that that is how this is being used. Any recourse from the conservative minority in the Congress? Well, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think if, if, we, if we fight back against uh, this type of, of uh, cancel, so-called cancel culture coming from the left uh, with, with its sights on our service members, and we educate the American people more and more about it, I think the, the recourse will be at the ballot box, Tony. I mean, there's nowhere else... The recourse can be felt uh, more importantly than there. Well, certainly needs to be highlighted so that people understand the consequences of these elections and the types of policies the left is pushing through. Uh, Congressman Jim Banks, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. All right. Uh, Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana, chairman of the Republican Senate Committee, who, by the way, is doing a great job picking up from Mike Johnson of Louisiana to advance a conservative agenda. So watch very closely what they're doing. They're doing some good stuff. All right, we're going to continue this conversation with our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, Boykin, a former member of the United States Army, 36 and a half years. He's going to talk about the effect this could have on the rank and file of our military. Don't go away. Back with more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. 
For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. 8 p.m. tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, that is. Pray Vote Stand, the weekly edition of that this week. We're going to be joined by U.S. Senator James Langford and Pastor Roy Smith of True Light Christian Fellowship in Midland, Texas. Join us to pray for the nation and those affected uh, by this uh, current storm that's moved across the country. Again, that's 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org. All right, continuing uh, a conversation about the stand-down order that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has issued. Um, Concerns, we've talked about the lack of clarity in the definition of extremism. Because we know from going back to the Obama administration that, uh, as we previously discussed, that is an elastic term, oftentimes defining anything the left is against. Now, we also know, now we've talked about this in the context of what the left has done since January the 6th and how they've used that as leverage to try to silence conservatives. But we also know from a historical perspective how the left has used the military to push through an agenda. And aggressively so. We, we saw that under the Obama administration with the, the pushing of their radical sexual policy and how members of the military were penalized if they didn't go along, uh, how there was a purge of military leadership to make way for a more politically correct leadership. What impact will this have on, number one, the men and women who serve in uniform, who disproportionately are actually conservative because it's a part of the I don't know, it's just, I guess it's part of being conservative and, and especially being Christian that you serve others. And I'm so grateful we still produce men and women who are willing to serve others. How will they be impacted and might they be driven away from the military? And then what do we have? What will this do to unit cohesion? And what will it do to military readiness? Well, joining me now to talk about this and more, 
retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, the executive vice president here at the Family Research Council. He served for 36 and a half year, years in the United States Army. He was a founding member of the Delta Force, and one of his last assignments was over the uh, at the Pentagon in military intelligence. Uh, General, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. I'm glad to be with you. Let me just ask you straight out of the the, the gate here. Are you concerned about this stand-down order? I'm very concerned about it, Tony. Uh, You know, we we need to go back to the mission of the military, and it is to win the nation's wars. Uh, This this is a military that has, uh, I mean, has stood the test of time. Uh, We've had ups and downs, uh, but we have also been there when this country needed our military. You you have been part of that military. And when you are not focused on what our primary mission is, which is to win the nation's wars, and you're getting into all this social engineering, and you're wasting precious training time for things like what uh, is, has been directed by Lloyd Austin, the new Secretary of Defense, you are going to wind up putting those troops into a combat situation, and they're not going to be prepared because we've wasted a lot of their time with things that are leadership issues at the unit levels. Those company commanders and battalion commanders and brigade commanders, they ought to be dealing with these things when they know that someone uh, has crossed the line in some way. There's there's never been a tolerance for people being associated with extremist groups. And that doesn't mean it hasn't happened, but uh, I'm very concerned about uh, us using uh, time that should be used for uh, for preparing for battle. Well, I, I rarely do I take issue with you, General, <laughs> but there has been a record under the Obama administration where Political correctness got in the way of actually dealing with extremists who were in the military, but they happened to be on the the left scale, the politically protected side of extremism. And you had an army major at Fort Hood, Texas, Abdul uh, Hassan, who killed 13 people there. And there were warning signs, but no one touched it. In fact, according to the National Public Radio, Walter Reed officials expressed concerns that they would be accused of, quote, unquote, discriminating against Hassan because of his extremist Islamic beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. So I stand corrected if that, if that was the way you interpreted what I was saying. I was saying that in terms of I was picking a systemic, you. I know you were, and that's not an unusual thing, but the in terms of uh, there being a systemic um group or or propensity for young soldiers to come in the military uh, and and be able to continue, even if they were involved in something outside of the military, to continue to be involved with an extremist group. But look, right. here's where we're going. I, I'm afraid, Tony, and you remember this well. In the Obama administration, we actually we had a, a photographs of a uh, training session where they put the, the not the Family Research Council, but the uh, American Family Association, they put them up on a slide and said, if you have any contact with this organization, then you are risking being court-martialed. And, and they lifted up this pro-family, pro-life, uh, pro-religious uh, values they lifted them up as being one of those extremist groups. So where is this going? That that was that came out under the Obama administration, and I know you remember that. We yeah. we reacted to it very quickly. Well, and a source of information that they were drawing from to come to these conclusions was the Southern Poverty Law Center, which once again has found favor in the Biden administration, and no doubt will be uh, a part of helping the Department of Defense. Uh, come to these conclusions as to what is extremism. Well, that's exactly right. And it's, you know, it's also, it, and just go back and read some of the documents now that are coming out uh, as a result of this uh, directive by Lloyd Austin. Uh, read some of these documents here, and there's a big emphasis on 
white supremacy. They're looking for white supremacists. Well, how, you know, this is going too far. I mean, our military has been uh, integrated since uh, 1947 when Harry Truman integrated the military. And, and, and there, has, there was a period right after Vietnam where there were some racial issues, and the leadership in the military took care of that. The leadership brought that to an end. And that's what we need to be doing now. And what we don't need is we don't need a directive from the White House, which Lloyd Austin is issuing an order that obviously he was told to do. We don't need an issue, I mean, a, a, anything from the White House that is so ambiguous that you could almost pin anybody you wanted to uh, with being an extremist for one reason or another or a white supremacist, largely just because they're, they're white. And I, th- I see this causing morale problems in the military, and I see it causing a, a tremendous rift within uh, small units, you know, right. where you, you've actually got a protected class in, that, in those units now, uh, whether they are people that uh, express open support for the president of the United States or whether they uh, have views about racism that uh, don't comport with that of the commander of, of the units or Whatever, this is going to be a morale problem, but uh, I go back to what I said initially. It is also going to take up time that that we should be giving them uh, training to be able to defeat the enemy on the battlefield. And and that really really scares me because we we saw what happened when those those patrol boats were taken off the coast of of, um, uh, Iran in in, uh, 2015. And those people didn't have a clue what they were supposed to do. And everything that they should have done is something they should have been taught in a classroom setting and then in a practical application. But they were too busy uh, doing things that were part of the social experiments that the Barack Obama administration forced on our military. And it's going to happen again. And it's, uh, it, it bothers me a great deal. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. My guest, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, Executive Vice President here at the Family Research Council, retired uh, 36 years serving in our nation's uh, military. General, I want to go back to uh, what you said about how this might be used in within the ranks of the military. Um, Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee uh, kind of, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but he insinuated that this was back when, in, in January, when 25,000 National Guard soldiers were placed at the Capitol. And, and he was insinuating that most of them um, were white males and probably Trump voters and inclined to cause trouble. And, and so this type of thinking that is clearly being driven by the left, if you have someone in the military and all you have to do is say, well, th- this person's an extremist, he has extremist views, uh, this is going to cause. You talked about the the morale issue. This is going to cause division and potentially ruin people's careers. There's no question about that. And and what this is 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 an attempt to browbeat people into submission. And that is not what we need in our military. We need we need people that understand how to how to uh, execute uh, their skills. And they're not all infantrymen but how they execute their skills. But we also need people that can think and people that uh, that feel free to express their ideas, people that can, in a respectful way, disagree with their chain of command. Uh, that's acceptable, and it's always been acceptable in the military. And now what we're going to do is we're trying to create a military of nothing but little lemmings that will just follow along and nod their head for whatever uh, the Secretary of Defense and the Commander in Chief say, and we've been through this with Obama, and this it, it is it, it devastated our military. And again, I go back to the situation in Iran when those patrol boats were taken, and those guys were within five minutes were looking into the cameras to the international audience and saying, "This is all our fault, and we want to apologize to the Iranians and thank them for their hospitality." I, you have never seen it. Go back to Vietnam. Go back to the, the period where the, this was taken seriously uh, as to how you act if you've been taken in captivity and what the Geneva Convention says. And now instead of knowing what the Geneva Convention says, we're going to find out what, uh, you know, what some 
egghead that has written something about critical race theory or about white supremacy, uh, it, that, that's what we're going to stuff down their throats. And, and again, it, it is not helping our military to do its primary job. I want to go back to um, something I touched on earlier in the program with Roger Maxwell, who is a military attorney and has written about this and expressed concerns. And he said, based upon the lack of definition of extremism, uh, essentially using the term that um, or using the definition that it would deprive one of their civil rights, that any Christian military member who espouses a Uh traditional view of marriage would, after the Supreme Court decision in Obergefell, put him at risk of running afoul of Austin's instruction. What would this do to religious liberty in the military? Well, they're exactly the same thing that we've already seen. We've already seen a good example of this. And and look, you, you know, again, if you are a Christian... And, and you uh, say anything that offends anybody in the LGBT community uh, in the military now, uh, and I thought we were beyond it, but now uh, your, your career is in jeopardy. And, in fact, the way this is going, as Mr. Maxwell said, the way this is going, uh, you can be held uh, liable. You can be uh, actually probably court-martialed or given non-judicial punishment of some time, but you can certainly be put out of the Army. So how is this going to impact the recruiting? Since, you know, historically we know that those in the military tend to, to skew more conservative and, and those that yeah. have more of a, an exposure to biblical faith. Well, go back and look at what happened in the Obama administration. Uh, the, the services started having trouble recruiting. And, and that was because it wasn't just because these young patriotic Americans that wanted, really did want to serve their country. It was about moms and dads all across the country that saw what was going on, right. and especially those that were people of faith. And they said, look, my son, my daughter, I don't want them to go in the military because they have to check their faith at the door. And we raised them up in the church, and, and we don't want them to have to make that decision. And And that is, again, it's another morale factor. And look. It's uh, morale is a very important equalizer on the battlefield. You know, when you've got a unit that sticks together, and I've seen this, you've got a unit that sticks together, they believe in each other, and they'll fight to defend their buddies. They'll never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. That's what you want, but you don't get that when you create this kind of environment where you're pitting them against each other because of their race or because of who they voted for. That's one of the freedoms that we defend. Probably the most fundamental freedom that we defend is what our founding fathers gave us, which was consent of the governed and the opportunity to choose our own leaders at the polls. And that is a a good point to leave it on. General, we're out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. And, folks, thank you for joining us as well. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 